Welcome back to The Athlete's Voice. Long time no speak. I know it's been a little while. The last time that I put anything out was just before the Olympics in 2021, just before I headed out to Tokyo, literally three days before. And since then, there's been a lot going on. I've been busy doing good things, or trying to do good things. There have been a lot of changes. Me and my girlfriend broke up, so I've been single for the last seven months or so. But it kind of gave me the opportunity to throw myself fully into everything that I want to do. So I've been doing just more things and staying more busy alongside training. Training's still taking the priority, of course. I'm still working super hard every single day to try and be the best diver possible in order to hopefully have some good competitive results this year. I've got the Commonwealth Games coming up. I've got the World Championships and hopefully some other competitions as well. And I'm really trying to take a different approach to my competition and the way that I compete. So that's to be figured out. And the process is well and truly underway to make that happen and make that successful and make that positive. But in the meantime, as I say, I've been I've been wanting to kind of reboot this and give it a, a fresh kind of vibe, this podcast, because I think some people got value out of it. I really do. I've actually I have I've had the occasional message, even you know, not too long ago saying that you know, people were listening to an episode and got something valuable from it and wanted to get some more information and that was really cool. And I was trying to think of a way that I can bring more to the podcast rather than just telling my story and talking about my journey day in, day out, week in, week out, which is basically what I was doing before. I want to offer a little bit more and a little bit more of my knowledge, my understanding, my experience that I've built over the years in sport. And as well as that, I've been working on a project um, which is soon ready to go live. I just need to actually finish my qualification and it's in coaching and mentoring. My goal is to set up a coaching and mentoring business and start providing that service to uh, corporate businesses, those kind of people, but also to athletes, helping to coach athletes, but from a from a not um technical performance point of view, but like a how to how they can be a better athlete, how they can extract the most out of their career, how they can improve what they can do, the strategies that they can take forward. Uh, and also I want to be a mentor to younger athletes as well because I wish I had a mentor when I was growing up in diving, I wish I had some, I mean, actually, you know, I, I did have those people, I had my training partners that were around me every single day, and they almost acted like mentors, but to have someone that you can go to and ask questions, and people that have been through it, it's so valuable, so, you know, I've been through everything, I think, in sport, I've been through the highs, I've been through the lows, I've had successes, I've had tremendous disappointments I learned everything the hard way by representing Jamaica with no secure funding and having to find my own sponsor and having to learn all the lessons of competing internationally in order to make it to the highest level and not once but twice now I've made it to the highest level I've competed at the Olympic Games which I was supposed to be nowhere near but fortunately I've been able to get there twice and even though I've not done as well as I hoped I would do at the games, it's still a really big achievement, and I and I have to try really hard to not forget that. But that's just the athlete in me, and that's the name of this podcast. That's the name of this kind of new series I want to bring: the athlete in me or the aim. And the concept behind it is it ties in with my coach and ties in with my mentoring, particularly more for the corporate or business space because 
I believe that everyone has like an inner athlete. I believe that everyone has an inner performance focused person and in order to improve your performance if that's what you wish to do in your work whatever it may be um the also same thing applies to athletes as well you've got to really bring out that true athlete in you and i've been exploring this over the last few years how to bring out a better competitor a better trainer a more professional trainer a more professional athlete and it's led me to eight performance principles that I believe have to be in place in order to succeed. Now, they don't all have to be in place all at the same time, but at least all of them have to be considered and you have to be doing well at a few of them to be able to increase or improve your performance. So that's the concept of my coaching. That's the concept of this new series that I'm going to do and Recently, I've been inspired by Stephen Bartlett. Um, I actually, I accidentally started listening to his podcast. I was, I was on Spotify. I was actually search, searching for Digger D to listen to some some music, um, and as I typed in Di, um, Diary of the C Diary of a CEO popped up, and I was like, you know what? Rather than listening to music, let me listen to, let me listen to that, and I like, scrolled all the way down back to his very first episodes, uh, which. I always find that interesting going back to like where someone started rather than seeing where they're at now because then you get to see the journey and see the process uh, which I think is often lost in in this world you don't get to see the journey that people have been on you only see the highlight and you only see when they've actually achieved a bit of success but you don't see what they've been through to achieve that success that's why I saw it all the way down to the bottom basically but I've been listening to him and a lot of the things that he says really resonate and that's not to say that I'm as smart as him or I could create a, a company as successful as his or anything like that. Like just some of the things that he said just I just understood and I, I appreciate it. And I don't know whether that's a situation that I've almost forced myself into based on the events of the last kind of two, three years. The pandemic, which almost turned me into like this hyper-focused person on one particular goal which I believe was also potentially the cause of the breakdown in my relationship as well because there's not many people that understand that kind of focus even though it didn't result in like an Olympic gold medal that's what I felt I needed to make it there And Stephen Bartlett talks a lot about that, his hyper-focus for his work, but he just enjoys it. He enjoys the process, and I love the process of it. Right now, I'm enjoying training more than I've ever enjoyed it, and I'm really feeling challenged in training. I'm doing my dives better than I've ever done them before in training, and if I can convert that to competition, then that's going to be awesome. But I feel like, at the moment, that's just a bonus. And then on top of that, everything that I'm doing around training... That's keeping me engaged and keeping me locked in and keeping me focused. Um, they're all feeling quite positive and I'm enjoying those things as well. And I, I feel like I'm getting a lot of... I feel like I've, I've got some real purpose now in my day-to-day -day and week-to-week -week activity, which is not something I had post-Rio 2016. And the fact that I've got that now, I think, is the reason why I'm able to continue doing well. So... I want to share that. I want to share my thoughts around these certain things. Uh, but I also want to find the best way to like just keep on going about it. And I feel like talking about it and reflecting on it is helpful for me to understand where I'm at and what I'm doing and how I'm doing. And you know, I've also taken a bit of the concept from Stephen Bartlett's podcast in, in terms of the fact that he just wrote something down in his diary and uh, he then just talks about it and that's like his therapy and it's kind of what I was doing before actually with with the Yoni K Weekly I was like recording you know 30 seconds a minute listening back to it reflecting on it and then speaking about it so I kind of was doing this thing the same thing before I even started listening to him and, and took inspiration from that but now I just thought of a different way to kind of refine it and improve it so
with that being said, um, let's hear what I had to say this week. Finally got gripped by COVID. Didn't hurt too much, but very inconvenient timing. So over a week ago now, I was in Leeds at G-Star at the diving competition. I wasn't actually supposed to be there originally. Um, I just happened to have that same weekend off and I was going to go home for the weekend. And um, then I got I got asked if I would help out and do some coaching there. Uh, so I did because, you know, it's always nice to be around a diving pool and nice to get involved. And I... Um, I was coaching divers. I was handing out medals, and I was. I was just. It was like it was like my first time kind of being back in a normal competitive sporting environment. Like all the other events, even nationals, has been very diluted and very tame um, because of like no spectators or having to wear masks or you know thinking about social distancing and things like that. Whereas this time at G Star, it was like none of those considerations were in place, and unfortunately, I think that's where I picked up COVID from, um, which was very poor timing because I was traveling to Italy the following week. So I got back to Edinburgh on the Sunday night. I was feeling fine. Maybe felt like a bit of a minor cold, but that's something that I often feel. And um, basically we had to do a COVID test, a PCR test in order to train when we got to Italy, not to travel because those rules weren't in place, but just to train. So had it not been for that test that we had to do for training, I don't think I would have even considered it to be COVID. I just would have thought I had like a minor cold and it would go away in a couple of days, which it basically did. But I d- took the test on Tuesday, handed it in, took it into uh, the Randox place, um, flew to Italy and uh, got the test result back the following day. And literally... It was probably about 30 minutes before we were supposed to head to the pool and I got the email and it said uh, your test was positive so that means you likely had the virus when you took the test and I was like, oh my gosh, Like, are you kidding me? It was very annoying because, because I felt such minor symptoms. I didn't even feel the proper COVID symptoms from what they said. I just felt the symptoms of a cold or a flu. So basically that meant I was not able to compete. I was just in Italy for five days, five nights. Um, and yeah, it was it was just very unfortunate timing. But, you know, maybe it was my body telling me or just something telling me that I need to just slow down and chill out a little bit, which I did. I made my way through my Netflix to watch list and did some work and just chilled out and relaxed and... After I started feeling a little bit better, um, which didn't take long, I, I then went out and just walked around a little bit, making sure that I stayed away from people and wait, like wore my mask and stuff like that. But um, I was totally fine. Um, but I got to see a bit of Turin, which was nice because I don't normally get to see the place I go to when I compete because we're just normally so busy with training the competition. And uh, furthermore, I flew out of Italy. Uh, I flew out of Milan on the way back home to Edinburgh. So I went to Milan on the morning of the Sunday and uh, just walked around Milan and had a really nice little day out. And by that time I was totally fine. So, um, yeah, it was, it was annoying, but also uh, it was a shame that I didn't get to compete because I feel like I was starting to train quite well and I was starting to figure out some of my dives and I was looking forward to testing some of my new strategies and new approaches in competition but it wasn't to me, so, you know, I took it on the chin, there was no point in getting mad or angry, because that was just a situation, and I'm glad that it happened then, rather than, you know, last year at the Olympics, or hopefully not this summer, touch wood, and, it, you know, it's definitely taught me to make sure I continue taking a bit of precaution, because events, maybe games, like the Commonwealth this summer, maybe the World Championships, there's, there's still going to be some kind of COVID protocol around them, because they need to be run successfully, right, so... I need to continue being a little bit more careful than I was over the weekend at G-Star. So I've learned my lesson and I will improve and, you know, it, it won't affect me again. But 
the good thing is getting back into training once I got back to Edinburgh, I haven't felt any kind of respiratory struggles. Um, it didn't feel like I was out of the water that long. Like I've got back into my rhythm quite quickly. So I'm feeling good again already. So that's that's really positive. And that shows that the hard work that I've been doing before has, you know, it's it's been sustained and I've not lost it over a period of time, which meant that work was good. So that's really positive And I feel good about that. So... Yeah, finally got COVID, but I wanted to join the party in it. Okay, let's hear the next note. The post Olympic blues. So this is quite a deep topic already, and um, the reason why it has come up this week, not for me because I'm not. I, I think I, in comparison to 2016, I don't feel like I've experienced any post-Olympic blues. And the only reason I understand that I experienced post-Olympic blues in 2016 is only upon reflection, based on how I feel now, based on how I felt over the last three years up in Edinburgh, compared to how I felt in 2016 after coming back from Rio and throughout 2017, that's the only reason I was able to figure out that I had the post-Olympic blues. Um, and it's it was hard to explain exactly what that is, but... This week I was chatting to Jen, my coach, and we were talking about James, which is my training partner. And, you know, he's not been finding it easy this season so far. He's still been diving quite well. Like, he did all right at Nationals. He's still been scoring well, but nowhere near as well as he could normally train and um, uh, compete. And, and also, like, training nowhere near his normal level. And we were talking about like what might be the cause of it and why he might be like this. And I suggested that it could still be related to the Olympics. And I don't think even that was something that she had considered because I guess she hasn't really experienced it before because she's never been to an Olympics or um, I guess seen a diver post-Olympics for a prolonged period of time like she has with James. But I suggested that it might still be some kind of effect from the Games. Like... It's this big thing that you target for so many years and you achieve it and it's a great experience. And he did super, he did awesome. He made the final, finished ninth overall, which is fantastic. But then there's this like expectation and pressure from yourself, from coaches, from management in British diving, for, for him in particular, and then from friends. And, you know, you're on this different level now that, people just can constantly expect and it adds a different level of pressure and it's hard to manage I think sometimes it's really hard to manage and I think what comes with it is just a bit of a bit of like an underwhelming feeling uh, in the year post-olympics compared to the year pre-olympics because pre-olympics you got this clear goal and not to say he's not got clear goals now but you've got this clear target and the dates aren't going to change and everything's staying exactly the same and it's going to be when it is and you've got to be at your highest level at that point and you go through it and you you achieve what you achieve and then you come out of it and then all the other targets just don't quite feel the same and that's what I think might be happening here and it was funny on exactly I think it was the same evening that Jen or Jen and I were speaking about it. Um, one of the American divers made a Facebook post speaking about this exact topic. And, and he said, this season has been a challenging one for me. After reaching one of my largest goals in sport last year, it has honestly been hard to find my passion to keep going. I've had a difficult time with practices and at most times have had an overwhelming anxiety about the sport feeling the expectation to perform but not having that fire burning inside me has been draining in a lot of ways in and out of the pool. I found my drive this year through my teammates and our team goals for the season but it wasn't easy as I was still lacking that personal desire that has pushed me my whole life. And he based, there was a bit more to it but he basically said exactly what I was trying to say and exactly what I think James might be feeling. And it's weird because so many athletes kind of go through it, but there's so little understanding about how to manage it and, you know, what can be done to reduce the effects of it, which is the toughest thing because 
if it's just left and it will just get worse and worse and worse and worse and you know it could result in you never kind of reaching that kind of level again which is a high huge disappointment so I think that also kind of ties in with what I want to start doing with athletes and in sharing my experiences and sharing the things that I've gained over the years by telling them what they can expect and what they can potentially do to reduce these things and you know manage manage these problems that athletes always seem to have okay the next note there's nothing more rewarding than seeing and being involved in the process of of improvement in young people so as with before the olympics i still coach diving um every day now five days a week um so i just get the weekends off uh but after every training session that i do i have a coaching session i've got a, a, a little group now um of divers that are between the age of like 11 and 12 and um i've been working with them for about six seven maybe eight months now and it's been really fun to kind of work with divers who haven't got that many dives yet but have the potential to do all these dives and I've been pushing them and I've been seeing how they get on and they've been doing awesome they really have and I've been super impressed and I've been really excited working with them and and that's added to my purpose and that's added to the energy that I've got every single day because you know once I finish training I regardless of how my session goes I can just let it go and I know that I've got to be there for the kids. I've got to, it's not, it's not me anymore. It's not my happiness. It's their happiness. So I have to try and bring my best regardless of how I'm feeling. So, you know, even if I have a bad session, you know, what? I genuinely don't even feel like I have bad sessions anymore. I have good sessions or I, I learn and it's become that way because I can so easily leave behind the bad things. I, rather than thinking, oh, I dropped this dive today and that was rubbish and I didn't do that very well. I see it as, okay, I made these mistakes, but maybe if I do this next time, I can do it better potentially and it might improve. And that's how I can let go of it quicker in order to be there to coach the kids that I have in my group. Also, I think I probably mentioned it in the... Yoda K weekly version of this, but I have been training with the Dame Kelly Homes Trust throughout lockdown and um I've been become an athlete mentor and I've recently been delivering my first programme with them at a school up here in Edinburgh. And I've been working with sixteen young people in this school who, you know, they're not good they're not bad kids, but then they haven't done anything exceptional yet. And it's it's the role of me as an athlete mentor and the role of the programme set by the, the trust is to build their confidence essentially through the delivery of this really exciting social action project that they come up with. They create themselves and they deliver it themselves and upon delivery, their confidence is supposed to improve. And so far, I've already seen a boost in their confidence. I've only done four sessions with these groups so far. And there's definitely been like a a change in the way that they all interact with each other, in the way that they interact with me compared to the first session and what they bring forward. And to see improvement like that in such a short space of time, just by me, yeah, delivering the the programme set by the trust, but also delivering my experiences and my personality and everything and, and trying to give them a little bit of confidence. It's been really cool and exciting to see and it's been really rewarding and that combined with the progress that I see in my divers you know rapid progress in such a short space of time because of the energy that I'm giving them that's one of the most rewarding feelings that you can get and I think that's the way that I want my life to kind of continue I want to feel that reward of purpose from seeing other people succeed and it doesn't always have to be young people it could be anyone and again that ties perfectly even with coaching um like as in the coaching qualification that i'm doing uh it ties in with that because the point of coaching is to try and help people 
be better or find the best version of themselves or whatever niche I go for, more likely to be around performance. But the goal is to see people improve and hopefully from the start of the program that I have to the end of the program, I see people improve and I love that. And it makes me feel better about myself and it makes me just more hungry to do the best I can in order to keep giving other people my best as well, which I think is in turn helping my diving. So it's cool that everything's kind of like tying in together and working together uh, kind of in tandem. And um, I, I just wanted to like kind of maintain and just continue and, and hopefully continue building. And, you know, I want to continue working with my divers and I don't want to lose them to other groups, even if they get better, I want to keep on working with them. And, you know, I want to do more programs with the trust, with Dan Kelly Holmes Trust, but I need to make sure that it aligns with my training and it's not taking too much energy away from it. And I want to, when I launch the business, I want to be able to help as many people as possible and just, you know, try and just be there for people. Like, it's be such a great feeling. Like, literally putting a smile on my face now, just talking to it, talking about it. Okay, the next note. Three years in Edinburgh and I've literally done the minimal amount of socialising and it's never really bothered me until I got asked this week. Uh, by the way, it's hilarious how different my voice is in these little snippets because of the different times of the day that I make these recordings. Um, but yes, Grace Reed is up this week. She's training with us because there's been a, like, a drama at the London Olympic pool and if you Google it, you'll see what went on there. Some kind of chlorine toxic gas issue uh, and their pool is still unable to be used so she's up here training with us and while she's been up here obviously we, like I've known Grace for so many years now and we get along super well like she's one of my good good friends in diving um, and, and we get along so well but she asked me this week if I've got any like friends outside of diving and the truth is I, I don't really I've got there's like I don't know three people in Edinburgh no, literally two people in Edinburgh that I hang out with away from diving um, occasionally. And those people are the people that I stayed in the Airbnb with. So when I initially moved up to Edinburgh, I stayed at James's for like two months. And then I wanted to like kind of figure things out for myself rather than relying upon them. So I stayed in airbnb and it just so happened that i booked this one airbnb and these two people happened to be absolutely awesome and i got along with them so well and i stayed with them for three weeks initially and then for another two months after that but one of those months they were away on holiday in uh, asia and they let me just have the house to myself um which was super kind of them and since then you know i moved out but I've stayed in touch with them and I keep in contact and we try and catch up as much as possible every so often. Uh, but they're literally like the only, I guess, friends I have outside of diving here in Edinburgh. Um, and Grace was asking me, you know, how I felt about that essentially, because she moved from Edinburgh to London and what she did was basically just immerse herself in the London life and made a group of friends outside of diving that she hangs out with and goes to meals with and goes and nights out or whatever and has fun as well as her diving friends as well but I've not really done that up here and I think the reasons are first of all I've obviously not been drinking so like it kind of takes away the night out aspect um and, and kind of like making friends or socialising that way. But I'm not bothered about that because I don't want to drink. That's been a choice. And going out isn't going to benefit my diving career, which is the reason why I'm up in Edinburgh. So I'm not bothered about that side of it. Um, and I guess that's... I, I don't know how else you make, you make friends, really. Like, I've not been studying up here, so I've not been kind of like in those university friendship groups. So... You know, I've not found friends that way. Um, I'm not necessarily interested in kind of friends of friends. So I don't want to go through my friends at diving to make friends with their friends because like that doesn't make sense for me. And also on top of that, 
I feel like I've got quite a big group of friends anyway already, like, but they're obviously all down in Leeds or in London uh, from school or f just from my home area. Um, and I still, you know, chat with them and it gives me a reason to go back to Leeds to catch up with them. And, you know, I kind of still got one foot in Leeds whilst I'm up here in Edinburgh. Um, whereas Grace is more immersed in London. And I guess, I guess the reason why is like, I'm I'm comfortable with my friends. Like my friends know me, my friends understand me, my friends get what I do and they don't judge me for it. And I feel like the hardest thing about making new friends is trying to figure out or let them figure out what it is that I do and, and what I need from them. Um, you know, my other friends, they already know exactly what I need or want from them and, and you know, they can give me that, which is fine. I, I don't feel the urge to have a friendship group to do things with up here because, you know, I enjoy my own company um, and my own time is very limited with everything else that I'm doing, you know, whether it's coaching or being at the school or training or anything else. Um, you know, most of the time I'll come back home in the evening and I've got like two hours, three hours to chill out, maybe not even that much um, because I might have other work to do. Um, so I literally come in, shower, get dinner, and then I might have like one hour to sit down before I go to bed because I'm normally up the next morning for training early, uh, or something like that. So, and then when it comes to the weekends, like I'll, I, I just like want to chill out all weekend and I want to, you know, do my own thing and like, I don't, I don't want to go out or I, I don't want to do anything that's going to cost me too much energy because I spend so much energy throughout the week doing all these different things anyway so yeah I, I guess for the first couple of years I obviously had a girlfriend so that was a bit different because she was my the, the person that I hung out with so she was the person that I went on little walks with or went out for a meal with or whatever but since since we we broke up which is probably about seven months ago now um you know i've not gone out of my way to make any new friends um apart from downloading dating apps and just chatting to people a little bit but you know that's i don't, I don't think that's really the same thing um but you know it's I've, I've only only kind of done that out of a little bit of boredom you know mainly over over weekends when i have a little bit too much time um, but I'm not doing it to, I'm not, I'm not trying to force it essentially, um, because I'm just comfortable with where I'm at and I'm comfortable with, um, what I'm doing and I feel like it's hard for anyone to understand that or fit in at this point, um, unless they're the right person. So, yeah, I think, I think when it comes to socialising it just depends who you are and what you want and where you're going and what you want to do because um, it's it's not always for the benefit of your performance and if you're if you're focused on performance and if you're focused on improving performance then um, you have to really be locked in on that and not let other people kind of distract you or take you away from it because particularly for me you know I feel like this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity like I'm not going to get this opportunity again so I really just want to give it everything and if there happens to be someone that comes along for the ride a friend or uh, a relationship or a partner or something like that then so be it but they've got to be the right person they've got to fit in well properly with my lifestyle and that's a non-negotiable for me at this point you know it will probably change in the future depending on how long I keep on diving for and especially at this level but um for me this is the only way that I want to go about it and as I say like it's not for the success of my diving career but I feel like what I'm learning and gaining from diving will help set me up for later life and I think that's really important because I've committed so much time to this now I've been doing this sport for 17 years I've been competing internationally for over a decade now I've committed so much to this like I can't I can't, it'll be stupid to throw it away now just to make some friends and just to have a bit of fun now, 
you know, if I make it through to 2024 and qualify for the Olympics and do that, and then I want to retire, then I'll be 29 and I have so much time to then do all of that. And even if I want to continue for another cycle, I'll be 33 in 2028. And if I want to retire, then I'll still have so much time to do all of the fun things. So yeah, basically like socializing for me at this point is, is not a huge importance and I'm okay with it. And it's important that you put yourself first and consider that because um, friends, they don't always think about you, uh, especially new ones that don't know you as well as your original ones. Okay, the next note. What is it within me that makes me willing to wake up at 5.30 in the morning on my day off to watch a Formula One race? Yeah, so basically, I guess this is the athlete in me, right? Um, The true, true athlete in me that is just obsessed with like competition, with excitement, with drama, and obviously you get all of that in a Formula One race. And um, yeah, they were racing in Australia this weekend and the race started at 6am UK time because of the time difference. So I woke up at 5.30 on Sunday morning on my day off uh, to wake up and watch the race. I don't know why. Uh, I, well, I, I know why I'm obsessed by it. I, you know, I might not do it for other sports, but it reminds me of the days when I was younger um, I would stay up through the night to watch basketball, um, you know, watch the uh, playoff finals, um, especially when Miami were in it because they were my team, or I'd stay up and watch the Super Bowl. Uh, but I think it's just the, I think it's just the immense urge I have for competition and the, the love I have of competition. And also now being older and understanding what it takes to be an elite athlete I actually enjoy kind of observing how different athletes cope with the pressure of sport and you know what they do to do well and what they do to find success and how I can potentially learn from what they do and and you know try and replicate it in my sport even though Formula One and diving are so different they're very similar in that you know, precision, consistent precision is required. For them, it's a little bit longer than it is for me. But, you know, it's it's a similar kind of concept. So, you know, I watch what they do in terms of their preparation, uh, throughout testing, throughout practice, throughout qualifying, and how that all then transfers and relates to the race. I really find that interesting and obviously Formula One's become massive over the last couple of years because of Drive to Survive so there's been a lot of fans and I've I've, I've always enjoyed it because my dad my dad would watch it when I was younger so I'd watch it with him um, and as soon as Lewis Hamilton came into the game you know I was just a Lewis fan from the start and um, you know I haven't always kind of watched it religiously like I am now but ever since Drive to Five came out and it gave you that little bit of behind the scenes and you got to see the real work and got to understand the real process that goes into creating this machine. Um, it it made me appreciate it a lot because every last detail is considered, everything is considered. And I think that's why I've become obsessed with it. But also the the all that preparation and, and considering all that has gone into it and then being able to see it in action in the race. Um, that's what kind of forced me to wake up at that time to watch it. Um, particularly cause it's only live once. And then also with like, you know, technology now you just get notifications of the results and I don't want to ruin the results. So I want to be able to like watch it live and be excited and surprised live, um, with my favorite sports. So yeah, fortunately not many races, are that far east um and or west so the time differences from here on out for the rest of the season won't be as bad which is good next note also what on earth is going on at manchester united honestly what is happening there so i think here i can tie in my performance principles so there's eight of them they are Physiology, psychology, nutrition, enjoyment, dedication, 
lifestyle. Um, what are the two now? <laughs> Let me double check. They are ambition, psychology, enjoyment, physiology, dedication, nutrition, lifestyle, and resilience. It was ambition and resilience I was forgetting. Now, these are the things that I think have contributed to my success in diving. Uh, these are the eight things that I have focused on and zoned in on ever since 2015, really, to try and find as much success as possible. And I think the if you look at those eight different concepts as eight pieces, those eight pieces have slowly come together over the last six years, slowly been built and improved to this point where I'm at now, where I feel like I have a really good understanding and now I am I feel like I'm thriving in my sport um and as I say hopefully I can con uh, I can translate that into competition um but if I don't then I can still be satisfied because I've put in the hard work and I've done the best that I can do which at the end of the day is the most important thing so just to give, give a quick run through and soon I'll be launching a website with all my coaching stuff on it and these will be on it so you can see these on the website but um i'll give you a quick run through of what i mean by each so with ambition it means with ambitious targets comes a drive for success you can achieve so much more than you think for psychology a clear mindset with effective stress management strategies allows for good performance under pressure for enjoyment to understand why you do what you do and what you enjoy about it is key to improving performance for physiology, consistent exercise not only increases energy levels, but provides a boost to cognitive function. Dedication, hard work becomes easier when you are truly willing to commit your energy to the task. Nutrition, to have the ability to give the required energy, sufficient and quality fuel provides an unrivaled edge. Lifestyle, a healthy balance between professional commitments and personal time aids performance. And finally, resilience. In order to enjoy the sunshine, storms must be weathered and to emerge unscathed is a success in itself. So they're my performance principles. And looking at Manchester United now, I try to consider which of those principles are being successfully applied and which ones aren't. So I look at the team and the first one that strikes me is enjoyment. Like none of them look like they enjoy playing with each other. None of them look like they really enjoy playing for the club. And I think about why that is. So obviously United were just stupidly successful under Sir Alex Ferguson over a long time. And at this point now, I really think they're just a victim of their own success. And there's that expectation which is the same thing with the olympics but in a completely different aspect because this is a team sport and i know that i don't understand team sports because i'm not in it um I'm, i've done an individual sport my whole life but i understand the concept of a team and i've seen examples even within an individual sport where a good strong team aids performance and a not so good team decreases performance collectively amongst the group and I say that because the team in Leeds before 2016 was exceptional and we all performed extremely well. And the team in Edinburgh throughout lockdown was exceptional, which helped us perform really, really well throughout lockdown. You know, just making it through lockdown was a success in itself. And I've been part of teams in diving that just aren't quite the same and I haven't performed as well and other divers haven't performed as well. And I look at this Manchester United team and they're a team that's not performing well together and it's because of that pressure. And with that pressure, they're not able to enjoy what they do. They look like they're stressed every single time they set foot on the pitch and they touch the ball, they look like they're stressed. And the poor results of the last few years don't help that. And the question is, how do you reset that? How do you find the enjoyment again? How do you rediscover that feeling and the difference in team sport to individual is that to rediscover that is probably not necessarily going to be this bunch of players that are going to be the group that rediscovers that enjoyment of playing for Manchester United 
it's probably going to be new, younger, hungry players that are brought in or older, maybe slightly more experienced players that can help those younger players that help everyone to find that enjoyment again. Whereas in individual sport, you have to do some soul searching. You have to look within you and you've got to figure out what makes you happy to find the enjoyment in your sport again. And I had to do that after 2017 where I wasn't really enjoying what I was doing because I wasn't performing well. So I had to figure out how I could find that enjoyment again. And with the help and advice of other people, I managed to find that by moving up to Edinburgh and I found a level of enjoyment that I've not had for a long time in diving and I'm still maintaining that now, which is really good. So I'm seeing enjoyment as a, as a really key thing there. The second one that I see is lifestyle. Now, all these Manchester United players are hugely successful in their careers, right? They've all done incredible things, be it internationally or at club level with different clubs. Now with that have come big contracts with lots of money and lots of freedom to do whatever they want basically you look at Ronaldo you look at Pogba you look at even Rashford with how much money he's making you know they're living lifestyles that maybe aren't necessarily suited for football because they're traveling all over the place they're always going to events they are you know superstar celebrities that are in the public eye but also are provided with opportunities that take energy away from you you know be it attending an awards night or going to a party um you know, like you've seen pictures and videos of sancho at parties recently so they're not necessarily living the lifestyle that's required for a successful team performance and if it's just one or two out of the group then it might be acceptable but i think that it is such a large number of the group that aren't living the right lifestyles to become the best versions of, of themselves on the football pitch is also contributing to um, the poor performance of the team. The third one is psychology. Now, this is a more difficult one because it's hard to imagine what's actually going on inside the head of another person, right? Because you just don't know. But similarly to the enjoyment side of things, they look stressed and they don't look like they have a way to manage that stress and that suggests that they don't have a clear mindset. So whether that be contract situations, whether that be thinking about leaving and wanting to go to other clubs, whether that be not having clarity over who the manager is because of the situation with the interim manager currently, whether that be, um, you know, not even having clarity over your personal life, um, that all affects the mindset and they've all got to find the way to regain the control over their mindsets to be able to put that focus in onto football and start performing well again. But as I say, it probably won't be this group of players that finds the success again. You know, for this group of players, they might only be able to improve those things, improve their mindset, improve, you know, rediscover their enjoyment of football, uh, rediscover that life and professional balance if they leave the club and go somewhere else and work under a different manager and um, maybe work with different teammates and have different motivations you know that's the only way I think it's going to improve the physiology and the ambition I don't think are issues you know they're athletes they're, they're going to be super fit um, to the nth degree and they've got the best sports science people and biomechanics people there so that's not an issue the club is obviously ambitious um so there's a drive for huge success but you know obviously it's not being delivered at this point but you can still have that ambition uh, i think the dedication kind of ties into the uh psychology side of it where they're not quite fully committed because their mindset aren't isn't totally clear totally clear sorry and um Yeah, it might look like they're doing hard work and they might show that they're doing hard work, but the hard work might not necessarily be the right work or the most effective work. Um, so, you know, it doesn't come together in gel as a, as a team. Um, nutrition, you have to imagine that they, they've, their nutrition is on point. And um, I guess the last one of resilience, they, it's not a resilient bunch, that's for sure. Um, you know, they, they concede goals and 
they can't bounce back and well they could previously but you know it's it's just changed now so that's my two cents on what I think is going on at United and obviously I'm a Man United fan like the reason why is because my best friend who I grew up with um, his dad is a Man United fan and they basically converted me well not even converted me they introduced me to football properly and um, you know I went to my first football match with them at Old Trafford um, and yeah I've, I've just been a Man United fan since then but with them being my team, um, it's just, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm like a proper, proper football fan. Like I'm not emotionally obsessed with it. Um, I don't get really angry or, um, I don't kick off when Man United lose. Um, but I do enjoy when they win. Um, but I enjoy following them as a team, particularly in this last six or seven years. Um, since Sir Alex retired and they've been on this process to rediscover the glory days, quote unquote, it's been actually really interesting to observe and see what the de- the decisions have resulted in and um, kind of make my own conclusions based on that. Uh, because I like the, the idea of like sports management and kind of seeing the decisions that the management side of things make. Um, at that club is really interesting and and I like to kind of like think about what even though I'm I'm so far away from that level um I just like to think about what I would do but I don't get emotionally attached or angry with it so um yeah I think I think the problems lie deeper than just the players uh, as well there's definitely something going on higher um which needs to be sorted out and and managed but um yeah, there's there's gonna have to be a complete restructure going on there, but um, yeah, it's it's interesting to kind of run that through my performance principles, and uh, you know you can kind of compare that with the, with the teams that are currently doing well, like the Cities and the Liverpools, and you know they fit in every one of those performance principles a little bit better than Man United do a little bit at the moment, and you see that in their performances uh, week in week out and how well they can play together and the success that they're having. And obviously that's important. Okay, the final note. Sport is such a hugely important part of society and the provision of sport is extremely important. And without coaches, you don't have provision. But coaches don't get paid enough for the stress. So how can they get what they deserve? No, I'm not going to spend too long on this because um, I want to wrap up first of all and also... Uh, I think it's something to actually for me to just think about a little bit more because I think it can tie into what I want to do. But I was speaking yesterday. Um, it was it was the Sasa Levels competition, so it was just a little comp for the regional divers here in Scotland, um, the younger ones. So so a few of my kids that I coach were competing. Um, but at the event, I spoke to uh, another friend of mine from the diving world, Anna, and um, we spoke about. I think she, she kept, we kind of approached it as a bit of a joke at first, like, you know, why is diving such a stupid sport and why is it so hard? Um, why do you put so much effort in and why do you train so hard um, to then compete terribly? Uh, you know, which one of her divers, you know, didn't have the best competition, even though he's been working really hard in training. And I've obviously had experience of that um, over the years in my career of training really, really hard and then not diving well at all. And it's like, what's the point of all that hard work if it if you get to competition you just bottle it, and how can you learn how to not do that? Um, and then it kind of progressed onto like our coaching as well, and you know how much effort we put in as a coach for the divers, and how much coaches get paid, which isn't really that much, you know especially compared to my friends who are working normal jobs in, in, you know, their recruitment firms or consultancy or whatever they do, like their boring jobs. Um, but they get a nice pay packet and they know how much money they're going to make each month and they take it home and they can buy a house and buy a car, whatever. Whereas as diving coaches, it's not that easy. 
Um, but I think it's the same thing with a lot of sports coaches in various sports. And it's hard because these people are so integral to the provision of sport and these people are really important for everything really from a sport perspective because without the grassroots you don't then get the olympians and the olympic medalists which is important for the nation as a bit of a boost you see how the country just gets energized when it comes to like the football tournaments and the olympics and different games that goes on you'll see it this summer with the commonwealth games uh, but without the grassroots people without the volunteers without people just earning not a lot of money but giving so much energy there wouldn't be that level of success at the highest level. So what can be done to support those coaches at a lower level who have such tremendous experience and probably a lot of knowledge and I guess a really restricted output for all of that? Because maybe I don't, maybe they don't get the recognition or they don't get the opportunity to share that knowledge in other places but that knowledge could be so valuable for other aspects of life in business or in I don't know corporate spaces in yeah I have no idea but it was just something that I was thinking about and you know I think with my coaching that I do once I get the qualification once the website's launched I want to well, first of all, I don't want to be a diving coach for my whole life. I think diving coach is backup plan if everything else goes wrong. Um, coaching and mentoring after I do the qualification, I feel like that's going to be an important part of what I do post-diving. Um, and I don't want this to just be me. I want to try and help as many people as possible with it and also maybe give opportunities to other people to maybe work or find ways to earn some money and maybe maybe sports coaches can potentially tie into that in one way or another um you know they might have a different avenue to earn some money by giving talks or something I don't know so I'm gonna have to have a think of that it depends on the direction that I take with my coach and mentoring business but um I think particularly with the concept that I'm bringing in this podcast in terms of the athlete in me which could lead to potential online courses and programs and workshops and conferences and other things like that, you know. That's that's the idea. And whether I'm able to execute that successfully, who knows, but it's worth a try because, um, I mean, I have no intention to go and work a nine-to-five office job and uh, and if all fails, then as I say, diving coach is a easy backup, which I actually kind of enjoy as well. So yeah, that's where I'm at with that, and that's where I'm at as a whole, really. Um, I guess that's been that's been a long period of sharing, and I feel like I've opened up a little bit more than what I used to. Um, but hopefully, hopefully I can continue and hopefully um, I feel better for doing this, but I'll see you throughout the week. Um, and, you know, if it is something that I do end up posting, then I guess I'll see you in maybe one week, maybe two weeks. I don't know how frequently I'll do it because obviously this is quite long form and as well, I do want to bring back the uh, conversations with other athletes as well, but that's going to be a little bit further down the road just because of time and trying to get people. So I'll figure that out when I come to it, but it's still in my thoughts, but hopefully there is some value that comes out of this, um, this chat as well. So with that being said, thank you very much for listening. If you have made it all this way and, um, I hope you have a great week and I will catch you soon. If you've made it to this point, much respect from me to you. We are almost done. Before you go, be sure to leave a rating and a comment. Give my athletes' voice social accounts a like or a follow. I'll be back with more stories and more conversations soon. So stay tuned.